So it's my privilege this morning to um, preach again, uh, and I'd like to continue our series on, on Peter. For those of you that are visiting, what we've been aiming to do for the last while in our church is to try to prepare what we're going to do in the second half of the year. And what we're going to do in the second half of the year is um, deal with some issues that are prevalent in our culture. And I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about future shock. Do you remember there's a guy called Alvin Toffler in the 1960s wrote a book called Future Shock? And what he said in his book was that when things change too quickly and rapidly, you start living in future shock, that our whole of our society begins to strain and struggle to cope with the rate of change. And if you think of the last 10 years, how much has changed in our culture we are living in, we are living with future shock. How do we cope with all the changes that are happening? How do we cope with our society's changing view on morality, sexuality, marriage, uh, Brexit, and now all the challenges that we've had for the last couple of years around COVID and how you cope with that and how you manage that and what people do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to we address those things in, in the second half of the year. And then theologically, we want to underpin that with some things to encourage us. Because how many, how many of you know that when you go through change, it's stressful? It's always stressful. Whenever you go through change, the first thing that happens is stress comes into your life because you've got to learn to cope at a different level in a different way. And when, when you've ne never done something before, that's an obvious st stress in your life that comes. Isn't that true? And so we have to learn to cope well. And so that's why I've chosen, we've chosen as a preaching team to preach through one Peter because 1 Peter is an amazing book that helps us to live well when things are difficult. And last week I did an introduction just explaining a little bit around why the, the letter was written, who it was written to. And one of the main themes of Peter is coping well, is learning to live well when things are difficult. And so we can, we can certainly look at Peter and learn a lot from Peter. And so last week I did two things. I just want to connect in what I'm going to say this morning to what I did last week. And this morning, my message is called Born Again for an Inheritance. Born Again for an Inheritance. And that should encourage you, if you, if you want to live well, that you realize Peter helps us to realize some things about ourselves that help us to cope well. And so here, uh, last week, I looked at two things. First of all, I looked at Peter as a man and as an apostle, and the journey of his extraordinary life. Remember, he started as a fisherman in Galilee. He became one of the inner three disciples, one of the three disciples that Jesus, the Scripture says, Jesus loved. He loved in a different way to the other disciples. And then he became a leader in the early church in Jerusalem. We know that from the book of Acts. And finally, he's this apostle, this encourager to all the churches that have been planted in Roman Asia, he's an encourager. He's an apostle to them. And eventually, as you remember, uh, he, he gets killed at the hands of Nero in about A.D. 67. And tradition says that he chose to be crucified upside down so that he wouldn't be crucified as Jesus was. All right? And if you want to refresh yourselves, please go and listen to the, the podcast where I unpack these things a little bit more. And then the second thing I looked at was how Peter addresses the people that are reading the letter. So the people that he wrote to in Roman Asia, but obviously all of us. And he, he says a couple of things to remind them. This is how you learn to live well. When you're reminded, Peter says, that you are, this world is not your home, that you are an exile. 
You are a sojourner. You are a pilgrim through this life. You are called by God. You are chosen by God. You're an object of His special affection towards you. That's why He saved you. And He sanctified you. These are all the introductory verses, verses 2 and 3. He sanctified you by His grace with His blood. He sprinkled you with His blood to give you a clear conscience so you can live with a free conscience. And He prepares you to live a life of obedience. Man, that should encourage all of us to live well in difficult times when we know that's true of us. Know that's true of us. What a calling that Peter says his readers have. And so now we're going to look at the verses we want to look at today from verse 3 and 4. And after he's established these things, after he's reminded the people of these things, it's like he can't help himself, but he just bursts into worship. You know those times. Sometimes I get like that when I lead worship. I just can't help it. I've just got to, yeah, you've got, 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 got to get it out. You can't just leave it there. You've got to get it out. You've got to just say what you feel and how much you love God. You've got to get it out somehow. And sometimes it comes out in tune. Sometimes it doesn't come out in tune, but who cares? There's something of worship. You just go, brah, God, I love you. And that's exactly what Peter does. He kind of establishes these things in the first couple of verses. Then he just bursts out in this. This worship, blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He can't help it. He's just overwhelmed with all that God has done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he, then he unpacks it even more. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. This is worship, man. This is absolute profound worship from Peter as he writes, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. My friends, you want to learn to live well in difficult times. Get these things into your heart. It will enable you to live well with power, with resurrection power, encouraged when all around you are complaining about everything. You can keep your heart steadfast and sure. I want to encourage you, as you try and live through this COVID thing, let the Word of God inform you. Not Twitter, not people's opinions. Let the Word of God encourage you and inform you. I'm so tired of Christians tweeting all the stuff that's going on without any reference to God's Word. No reference at all. Doesn't even come into our, oh, but we retweet all the stuff about the, the vaccinations and the this and the that and people's opinions and all the stuff. No reference to God's word. Our friends, we've got to learn to live differently with resurrection power bubbling up from the inside. Convinced of it. That's what makes us light and salt. Not that we regurgitate everyone else's stuff. What comes out is the Word of God, rooted, grounded, strengthened, oh, and it can't help but come out. That's what I want to try and encourage you with this morning. And so Peter does these two things. In the same way as he did last time, where he does two things in those introductory verses, he shows again these Christians, these readers, he says two things. I want to, as, I'm, as, as he's worshiping, he's showing them two things, who they are and what God has done from them, what's happened to them. 
that they've been transformed by the life-getting power of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that he reminds them of is they have been born again. You are born again by the power of God. You are not the same as the rest of the world. You shouldn't be. You should feel like you are a pilgrim. You shouldn't feel like everybody else. You should have a heavenly perspective that's given to you by the grace of God because He's transformed you from the inside. And you are different. By definition, you are born again. You're not the same as Joseph, your neighbor. You love your neighbor with all your heart and you try and bring him to Christ. But you're not the same. By definition, you have been born again, says Peter. That should help you to live well. Knowing that you are born again, knowing that you are not like everybody else, that you don't see the world like everyone else sees the world. You don't respond to stress in the same way that the rest of the world does. Why? Because you have been born again. The resurrection power of Jesus lives in you. It's transformed you. And so this is what he tries to tell them. And, and to be truly born again means you are completely changed. I said this last week. Let me just say it again. It doesn't mean you add morality to your life. It doesn't mean you try and be a good person. It doesn't mean you add some religious practice to your life. You are completely transformed. You see the whole world differently. You see your life differently. You see your friends differently. You see your future differently. You see your past differently because you have been born again. You're not a citizen anymore of this world. We're just passing through. We are pilgrims on a journey with Jesus, and we're getting ready for where we really belong. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Okay, I'm aware I'm loud this morning, right? <laughs> and so the Bible says we are called a new creation. And, and, and Peter reminds us of this. This is our destiny. This is the destiny that we have. And do you notice that the sentence begins with this? According to his great mercy. In other words, you and I didn't deserve to be born again. God would have been absolutely just if he had left us in our sin. He would have been, because he can't tolerate sin. Because he's pure and he's holy. And he would have been absolutely just to leave us in our sin, but he doesn't. What does he do? According to his great mercy, he reaches out into our lives and he says, see how much I love you. And he saves us. Come on, man, this is so good news. Because of his great mercy, he does. And then that sentence of phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. You notice the second thing? He says you've been born again. You're completely transformed and different. But you've also been born into a living hope. We sang about it this morning. A living hope. And it's so important to realize our hope is a certain absolute expectation. It's not hope like the world thinks of hope or how we use hope generally in modern English. Because this is what hope means in modern English. For example, I could say, I hope... The three lions win the Euros. Or I can say, I hope that my favorite athlete wins the 100 meters at the Olympics. So what does that mean? It means that I'm really optimistic that it's going to happen, but I'm not absolutely certain it's going to happen. And so generally, we live with an uncertain optimism, if I can put it like that. 
We are optimistic, but you can never be 100% sure, so it's a little bit uncertain. When the New Testament uses the word hope, it never uses it like that. The, the New Testament, the word hope is a confident expectation that it is absolutely sure and certain. It is absolutely, it's without doubt going to happen. That's a very different, different way of looking at hope. And so, Peter is saying, you have this living hope, which is absolutely certain and sure, and you can absolutely depend on it. And then he says, when you see that, when you understand that, you begin to journey through this life in a whole different way. Because you have a hope that you're aiming at that you know is certain and sure. So you can live in this world like it's not your permanent home. Because you are getting ready for your permanent home. Does that mean that you don't do anything worthwhile on earth? Absolutely not. When you're born again, you're giving yourself to do all that you can to make the world a better place. You're living for that. But you never get too attached to the world. Why? Because when you get too attached to the world, you get upset when things change. You get too attached to your house. Get really upset when your house disappears. <laughs> or when you get too attached to your health, when you get sick, you get really upset. Yes? This is how we mostly live. Like, this is it. Like, this is the best that it is ever going to be. And actually, Peter and Jesus say, no, I'm preparing a place for you that is infinitely better than this. And live like you are aiming at that, not live like you're aiming at this. And along the way, I will give you all that you need for your life. All that you need for, 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 to fulfill the call that you have for your life. But don't look to that. Look to the eternal thing that I'm doing in your heart. And so all of us as believers, as Christians, should, let's live with that passion for our resurrection. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Our resurrection, the hope that is still to come, beating in our hearts, enabling us to live well now. Third, you notice that Peter reminds them they're born again into a living hope. And then he says, through the resurrection of Jesus. This is what it makes possible for you to have hope, for you to be born again, is that Jesus was resurrected. That's why your hope is alive, because Jesus is alive. He's done it. He's already, he's the firstborn of a new whole new creation. The old Adam died in sin, and the new Adam, the last Adam, Christ, has been resurrected, the entirely new uh, humanity, and we are in Him, and we are resurrected beings because we are in Christ. This is good news, my friends, and so Jesus makes this possible. Uh, so when we are born again, we are united with Christ, we are joined to Him, His power begins to dwell, dwell in us, and that is possible because of the resurrection power of Jesus. That has made that possible. So perhaps it's a good thought then just to think about quickly, well, what about the Old Testament believers? How were they saved? They didn't have the resurrection. So if I'm saying to you this morning that you are born again through the Spirit of God, by the power of what Jesus did through his death and resurrection, how were the Old Testament believers saved? Well, it's true that they were saved, but again, it depends on how you use the phrase Born again. So in the Old Testament, believers were made spiritually alive, and they were brought to faith by the Holy Spirit, and they were brought to repentance by the Holy Spirit, but they still lived according to a law. They still lived according to rules and regulations. 
So they were born again, but not quite in the way that we would understand being born again. Because what we do now is we are born again by God's Spirit. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us, who enables us to live, who enables us to, to be sanctified by His power, who transforms us from the inside out. We have this gift of the Holy Spirit that the Old Testament believers never had. And the promise to us is that the power of the resurrection dwells in you, and you are made one with Christ, and it's that power that enables you to live. You don't have to follow rules. You follow Jesus. You follow the promptings of His Holy Spirit, and we are born again in a way that the Old Testament believers never understood. It's a completely much deeper, powerful, more wonderful thing that we experience by the power of what Jesus has done for us. And we can know peace, assurance. We can know a clear conscience. Isn't it amazing? Clear conscience, once and for all. That's what Hebrews says. Why? In the Old Testament, every year they had to go to the temple to cleanse their conscience and to get rid of sin. And they would, they would kill an animal. And on this animal, they would put their sin as symbolically they would lay their hands upon it. Every year, they had to cleanse their conscience again. They had to say sorry every year, every year, every year. And the book of Hebrews says, now by the power of one sacrifice, Jesus, once for all time, your conscience is clear. I feel passionate about this because when I was young, I did some stupid things. And sometimes I say, oh God, I wish I hadn't done that. And you know what? By the power of the Holy Spirit, I can live with a clear conscience that is wiped away. Don't have to go back to it year after year. It's gone. <laughs> it's too good to be true, isn't it? That's why it's called the gospel. It's called the good news. So we have this hope of being born again. We have this hope of a living hope through Jesus who's been resurrected of dead. And thirdly, uh, I want to say this about hope. Our hope as Christians is focused on this. Can I say this? Because uh, sometimes I don't think Christians really get this. Our hope, our living hope, is focused on the resurrection. It's focused on the new heaven and the new earth. It's not focused on when you die and you go to be with Jesus. That is a glorious thing. That's a wonderful thing. When perhaps suffering in your life ends and yet you, you go to be with Jesus the moment that you pass from into eternity. Our hope is not fixed on the moment that you go to be in heaven. Our hope is fixed as Christians on the eternal thing that God is going to do when all believers that have ever believed by faith are raised from the dead into a new heaven and a new earth. That is where our hope is fixed. It's fixed on that. Not on our suffering stopping or getting health completely. Those are good things along the way, but our hope is fixed on the resurrection and what Jesus is going to do one day when all things are made new. This world is not going to just be fixed up in a Greta Thornburg kind of way. This world is going to be made entirely new. Absolutely a new heaven and a new earth, more glorious than you've ever thought or could ever imagine. That is the promise. That is what our hope is fixed on. Why can I say that? I can say that because Jesus has made that possible, and that's why our hope is alive. And my hope, my, 
My passion is focused on that one day when I will be raised and I will be glorified just like Jesus. And I, my, the promise is for you and for me as Christians, we will co-reign with Him in the new heaven and the new earth. Do I understand these things completely? No, but I absolutely know they are true. Fourth, and I'm finishing with this point. You notice that Peter says, we are destined for an inheritance. That is so beautiful. And he says the inheritance that we are destined for by being born again. When you are born again, you know what makes possible for you? It makes it possible for you to live a life of obedience and to store up for yourself treasure in heaven. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying you have been destined when you are born again. It's made possible for you to live well by the power of the Spirit and live an obedient life. And what that does, it starts to store up for you an inheritance, reward, treasure in heaven. My friends, getting to heaven is not what it's about. It's good to get to heaven, but that's not the end. The end is that in heaven there is a reward for you. There's inheritance for you. There is glory for you that is birthed in your life as you live by the power of the Spirit, as you live, as you are kind, as you forgive people that don't deserve to be forgiven, that have really hurt you, as you extend grace to people that don't deserve grace, as you are patient with people that don't deserve patience. You are storing up for yourself treasure in heaven that Peter says is imperishable. <laughs> It's never going to fade. It's undefiled. It's never going to lead you towards sin. That is what you are storing up for self in heaven as you live by the power of the Spirit in obedience here on earth. It's great to get to heaven, but it's not the end goal. The end goal is there's a reward for you. There's glory for you. There's glory for me that comes as we live by the power of the Spirit. You're all looking like I've overwhelmed you this morning. I'm sorry if I've been too loud. But here... Just thinking about rewards. 1 John 3 verse 2 says this. Beloved, we are God's children now. So John is acknowledging, yep, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. You see, John, the great apostle who was on the Isle of Patmos and had all those wonderful revelations of what's going to happen and this incredible spiritual experience. Even the great apostle John, he says, I don't know what it's fully going to be like. I know what I am now, but what I am becoming, I don't fully know what I'm yet going to be when I'm in heaven. But I do know this. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be more than I could understand. It's going to be an, there's going to be inheritance of glory waiting for me there because I've honored Jesus in my life here. It's going to be glorious, and I'm going to get to share that with Jesus in heaven. And I want to say this also as I finish it is also true that we won't all get the same share of glory. It's true. Moses is going to get much more glory than me. David, much more glory than me. The apostles, much more glory. Why, wow, they've endured through things that we've never endured. You want to live well, my friends, now? <laughs> you want to live well in difficult times? You want to store up for yourself treasure in heaven? Respond with God's kindness and grace. Respond in a way that other people don't respond. Be kind, be patient. Let the power of the resurrection dwell in you and you begin to soar up for yourself glory in heaven. And one day we will see what that glory is.
and we'll enjoy it together. I love what Peter says. You know, these, he says it's indestructible. It will always exist. It will never, never be taken away from you. Secondly, it's undefiled. Do you know what that means? It means the glory that is to come will never lead you into sin. It won't defile you in every way. And thirdly, it's unfading. In other words, it's not ever going to deteriorate. We have a beautiful carpet in our lounge. It's a, like a red sort of woven carpet. It's beautiful. You know what you've noticed is that when the sun comes through the window, over a period of time, what happens to the carpet? It fades. And the redness is not so red anymore. And the blue is not so blue anymore, where the, sh- the, s- the sun shines brightly. And Peter's saying to us, that's not going to be the same for you with your reward in heaven, because your reward in heaven is never going to fade. Why? Because God is guarding it for you. We're going to look at that now. He says, um, our inheritance is kept for us by the power as we live by, by power in, in faith. And we know that we, we experience something of our inheritance now on earth, but there's much, much more of our inheritance to come. And I love this final um, point is that Peter says, our inheritance is guarded for us by God. Isn't that an incredible thought? That your inheritance, what you are storing up for yourself in heaven as you live by faith now, that inheritance is being guarded by God himself that no one can take it away from you. (laughs) Yes. Not death, not sickness, not anything on this life can take away that reward that has been guarded by God for you right now. It will never be taken away. Death can't rob it. Satan can't rob it. Sickness can't rob it. Ill health, nothing can rob the inheritance that you have stored up for you in heaven as you live an obedient life of faith by the power of the resurrection. It is sure. It is guarded by God himself for you and for me. Come on, it's such good news. Peter knew this personally. You know why I know that Peter knew this personally? Because um, uh, Satan comes and and, uh, um, uh, Jesus says this to Peter. Satan is asked to sift you, Peter. Asked to sift you. But I have prayed for you. And when God restores you, when you are restored, restore your brothers. Peter knew it first hand. The one that denied Jesus, the closest, one of the closest disciples to him, that, 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 uh, to Jesus, to, who denied him, God's promise through Jesus to Peter is, my friend, you're guaranteed, your inheritance is still guaranteed. In spite of all that you've done, I've prayed for you. And when Jesus prays, it always is answered. I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would not fail. And in the same way, Jesus is praying for you and praying for me. God the Father is guarding your inheritance and is guarding my inheritance. So finally, what does this mean for all of us? How does this help us live well in difficult times? Well, for everyone that puts their trust in Jesus we know that we can have his complete protection, that his great power is working on our behalf. And I say this carefully, but nothing that happens in our lives as believers is not allowed by God in part of his total plan for us. Why do I say that? Romans 8.21 is one of the keystones, become one of the keystones of my life. All things work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. All things 
Prosperity gospel preachers don't like that because they say only the good things are from God and everything else is from the devil. And only wealth, wealth is from God, poverty is from the devil. All the, no, no, the Scripture doesn't say that. The Scripture says all things work together. There are some things that God does in your life that are only possible when it's tough. Only possible when it's tough. Only possible when you have to exert faith. If, never, if we never had to exert faith in any area of our lives, we would just be fat, bloated, jellyfish people. We would. What makes you strong is that you actually have to exert faith. You have to trust God. You have to say, for this thing, God, I'm trusting for breakthrough. For this relationship, for this health issue, I'm trusting you by faith. And then your muscles get strong. I love the story of Job. And, and, and the Job's story so illustrates what I'm trying to say. You know, even if you feel like the devil is harassing you, I want to just say again over your life, it's never going to rob your inheritance from you. Whatever the devil does, it's never, he can't rob your inheritance for you, from you. Why? Because your inheritance has been guarded by God the Father in heaven, waiting for you when you get there. So Job, the story of Job, I just want to read a couple of verses. Job 1, the devil comes to, to God the Father and says this in verse 10. Uh, he, basically, the, the story of Job is the devil says, this guy is only faithful to you because he's got blessing in his life. You know, you've blessed him. You've given him stuff, and that's why he loves you, because you've given him all the stuff. And then in verse 10, the devil says, Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his positions have increased in the land. Basically, devil, that's the only reason why he loves you, because he has the stuff. And God says, okay. It's like the boundaries are, the, the fence is around, and then God says, okay, I'll move the, I'll move the fence. He moves the fence, and he allows some things to happen. And we read in Job 2 verse 6, um, the Lord says to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, only you spare his life. So God's saying, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll move the boundaries. He's saying it's only because I protect him that he loves me. Okay, I'll move the boundaries. And then you know the story of Job. All the testing he goes through, all the stuff that happens, the bad stuff that happens to him. He loses his family. He loses his wealth, his crops, his friends come to him and say, it's because of your sin, my friend. How many times haven't you heard that when you're going through a hard time? Are you sure you haven't done something wrong? Are you sure there's not unforgiveness in your life that has caused this sickness? Are you sure? Just check your heart. Make sure that you are pure. Because if you're not pure, God is going to punish you. That's how people live. And you go before God and you say, God, as far as I know, there's no unforgiveness in my heart. I don't know why this is happening, but I trust you. And what does Job say? Yet he slay me. I will worship him. Job doesn't give in. He remains steadfast with faith in his heart. No, God is good. All things in my life are working together for good. And then we read these amazing words in Job 42. At the end of the story, when his friends have had their say, and he's blessed his friends. <laughs> what an amazing man. Goes through all this crap. And he still blesses his friends who have just been unkind in every way, unloving in every way. Blesses his friends. And then verse 10, and the Lord restored 
the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. You see, in the Old Testament, there's always wealth is a symbol of God's blessing. It's not always like that. But it's the Old Testament's way of saying God was still, still with this man and what he had, God gave twice, gave more. Just said, yeah, boof, you've been faithful, boom, I'll give you more. And this is incredible blessing and inheritance that he has. And Job 42 verse 12 says, The Lord blessed the latter days of Job much more than his beginning. My friends, I've tried to encourage you. Perhaps you might be irritated with my, my um, passion this morning. But I want to say this to you. It's more important how you finish than how you begin. Job's life tells us this. Remain faithful. Live well when things are tough. Is that easy? No. Is it possible? Yes. Why is it possible? Because the power of the living Jesus is in you. There's a living hope that's based on what he has done, not what you are doing. It's alive because Jesus is already alive. It's through his resurrection that you have the gift in your life of being born again that makes it possible for you to have an inheritance and store up for yourself treasure in heaven. So live well by the power of the Spirit. Don't live like everyone else does. Don't respond like everyone else does. That's not storing up anything in heaven. Zilch! As we live with kindness and patience, and long-suffering, and perseverance, and God, I don't understand, but I still trust you. As we live with those things day by day, we store up for ourselves in heaven treasure that is being guarded by God the Father himself that no one can destroy, that will not rust, will not perish, will never lead you towards sin, and it will bring glory to you in heaven one day. Live for that. Pilgrims, as we journey through this life, live for that. May God bless you and keep you. Father, I pray for my dear friends. I pray that they would have a beautiful, life-transforming week this week. I pray that they would live with faith, knowing that you have stored up for them a great reward. Lord, help us all to live like that by the power of your Spirit. Pray as we go now, we would go with that refreshing knowledge in our life that you are guarding all things for us. In heaven, you are guarding a treasure, a reward that through obedience we're building up for ourselves. Lord, we thank you. I pray that it would enable us to live well. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says, Amen.